This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to the morning break. My special guest today is Suzanne Mulhew, a freelance instructional designer and teacher trainer based in South Shields, just across the river from where I was born. The topic for today's show is Teaching 2.1, which is shorthand for everything that is new in education. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. I'm Graham speaking to you live today from Campeche in the Gulf of Mexico. Today's show features a chat with Suzanne Mordew, freelance instructional designer and teacher training from South Shields and Northeast of England. Remember, if you're listening in and would like to join me live, then please download the Podbean app, visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live from the homepage. This should take you directly into the show. There we can chat and also I can bring you in to speak if you want to. Once I've spoken to Suzanne, I'll open up to any of you who want to call in. You can do that by pressing the icon on the phones app and uh, then I'll connect you. So I'll be talking to Suzanne right after the Teachers Talk radio news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. SteveWoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit SteveWoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chigwell, Essex, 
with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at withaslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Northern Ireland, funding for the Engage programme, a scheme that employs teachers to help children's learning recover after the pandemic, is still not in place for the next school year. The Education Minister sent a letter to schools after the term ended. The National Association of Head Teachers said the timing of the Department of Education's communication had caused great offence. The Engage programme was introduced in September 2020 and schools received between £3,600 and £50,000 on their size and how many pupils they had who were eligible for free school meals. Schools were given money to employ teachers or substitute teachers to provide extra help to pupils whose learning had been affected most by the pandemic and restrictions. In her letter to school principals, Education Minister Michelle McElveen said, I have issued a direction to my officials to continue the programme until the end of December 2022, in the first instance. However, this direction remains subject to the approval of the Department of Finance. I fully understand the importance of urgent notification on this issue and can assure you I will provide clarity on budget allocations as soon as I receive confirmation from the Finance Minister. The NAHT said that the uncertainty over the scheme was very worrying for schools. Caterers have told BBC News that as a result of rising food prices, beef will be removed from some school dinner menus along with other staples such as potatoes. LACA, the School Caterers Association for England and Wales, said that the quality of meals was under threat. Brad Pearce, National Vice Chairman of LACA, said the long-term impact of Covid, the war in Ukraine and rising fuel costs were all having an effect on what his members could put on school plates. He said the costs that are coming forward make it impossible for us to continue unless some difficult choices are made. 
LACA members provide 80% of the school catering service in England and Wales. Assist FM, the body representing Scottish caterers, says its members are experiencing similar concerns. In response to the concerns, the government said it had expanded access to free school meals and would continue to keep eligibility under review and work across government to address rising costs, building on the over £37 billion announced to help the most vulnerable. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to support a question everyone will see at the start of next year. It goes something like this. Hi Edu Twitter, can you reply with where you are so I can show my class how far a post on the internet can reach? With a bit of free tech, you can make this much more visual. I'm going to use Google Maps because it's free and most likely you'll have used Google Maps at some point in the past. So, when you have all your responses, sign into Google, go to Maps and click on the menu next to the search box. That's the three lines that look like a burger. From the menu, select My Places. You'll now have four options. Lists, Labeled, Visited, and maps. Click on maps and at the bottom select create map. Now you can give the map a title so you can find it next year for comparison and add all the places from your Twitter replies. Simply type the name of the place. When it appears with a blue point marker you can click the plus sign to add it to the map and then select the colour to help it stand out. When you've finished all places will be saved and you can access the map by following the first few steps. Menu, My Places, Maps. There are loads of other great tools to use also. Measure the distance from your school to those places. Hit preview and go into the view only mode. Here you can select a place and you treat it to a short bio and an image of the area. So next time you're looking to bring a lesson to life, why not try using maps to help pupils see where places are in the world? Do you have any top tips for mapping? Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So hello and welcome to the morning break on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm joined by my very special guest, Suzanne Mordew. Suzanne, thank you very much for agreeing to join me today. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's a nice day here, so that's made me feel very happy. That always helps, especially in the UK, doesn't it? That's true. So, Suzanne, when, when we were talking, uh, when we were discussing what the topic should be for this show, you suggested teaching 2.1. Could you explain a little bit about what this means to you and why it's of particular interest? I think the thing is, you know, when, when software is upgraded, this is the kind of terminology we use, we'll say like version 2.1. And I think this is quite important as teachers that we shouldn't think, okay, now we've done a teaching qualification, that's it, we're teachers, we can just get on with it. We need to keep upgrading ourselves all the time, you know, improving our skills, learning more, working on areas that, you know, we don't feel as confident about or we feel we need to upgrade. So that's what this is about, you know, 2.1 is about upgrading ourselves. It could be about technology or it could be about anything related to teaching. Yeah, it's a very it's a very catch-all term. It's very uh, it's very very good one. I like it. 
and um, as it's clear from what you've just said that you are very interested in continuing professional development when it comes to education. Could you perhaps talk a little bit about what this CPD means or has meant for you and why you think it's important for teachers to continue developing? Yeah, I mean, I think if you, you know, you sometimes get teachers say, oh, well, you know, my students don't seem very motivated. And it's like, are you really in touch with what your students want, what your students like? Are you in touch with the latest learning theories? So, you know, are you doing your, your best for your learners in that way? So I think to answer those questions, you need to keep developing yourself. And one thing that I found useful in, you know, when I started my career was action research, which I kind of fell into by accident because I was working somewhere where my learners really struggled with pronunciation. And I thought, oh, I don't feel comfortable about teaching them pronunciation. But I, I realized after a while that I wasn't doing a good job if I didn't work on their pronunciation. So I started reading research papers. When I went to a conference, I went to all of the pronunciation sessions and I tried to improve myself as much as possible. And that was a kind of mini action research. And I tried all the activities out in the classroom so I think, you know, that's a really good strategy to help, you know, improve yourself throughout your career. That's that's really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of action research as well. I think it's it's a really good way for teachers to take action, well, to take take control of something that is going on in their classroom that they want to change. And it gives a kind of framework, doesn't it, for that change to be able to investigate the best way of approaching approaching it or collecting evidence and then actually setting an action plan and following through with it. I think it's a really, really good way. I, I always encourage teachers to do it. But um, I think, you know, I, I would say it's true if I say that many teachers, when they think of CPD, will think of teach training sessions or conferences, for example. But as you've just said with action research, CPD can come in lots of different shapes and sizes. And I'm sure that apart from action research, you have a lot of experience of different kinds of CPD. Can you think of any other examples of teacher CPD that are perhaps not so obvious ones that you know are effective, that you've either had personal experience of or that you've seen other teachers use effectively? I think being part of some kind of community and nowadays we have so much choice, you know, because we have online resources, online communities. So there's, you know, on social media, it's very easy to find a teaching community that's local to you. And, you know, you'll then you'll be talking to people who are in similar situation to you in similar context and they can support you with problems you have in the classroom. You can support them. So I think that kind of, you know, community support is really important and something to think about so so it could be you know that you there are there isn't another english teacher at your school or if there is you don't get to see them very often but if you go into some kind of community it could be online it could be offline you get that chance to discuss these issues that come up from time to time yes of course are there any communities that you belong to that you've found particularly interesting communities of teachers or other other communities that you uh you really benefit from being part of? Uh, well, I'm in the, of course, I'm in the British Council Teaching English Facebook page, and, and there's some groups on there as well. And in the groups, people get into really deep discussions about 
teaching practice so you know and I mean of course we all like we would all like to be perfect but we're not perfect in the classroom things crop up you know when you're dealing with people which learners are people then things are going to crop up all the time you know and we're not always expert in a certain thing for example and you may need extra support so I recommend you know joining a community like that I mean that's the one I probably use the most there are other communities on Twitter so there are, there's ELT chat on Twitter so just have a look at social media and you know if you put in ELT see what different groups you can find but I think the Teaching English Facebook page is a good place to start so think about joining that yeah no I, I completely agree I think um that community is a really interesting place I like what you said about different groups as an offshoot of that as well I think what one of the things I found with communities communities of practice is that the more specialized your interest is the more likely there'll be somewhere uh that you'll find that there are a group of people somewhere online actually um with uh, an active community going on i can think of kind of two examples one of which i've talked about on this show before which is the web heads in action which is a community of um educators across the world that have had a special interest in online or technology particularly online technology that have been going from i think i'm right in saying since 2003 so it's been going a long time when in the early days of the internet when it was very difficult for educators to find anyone else uh, that they worked with or were actually geographically near that were interested in that kind of thing so that provided an, an amazing place for people to share knowledge and and to start um, um communicate with, with with each other to you know to find virtual colleagues so that was one for me and then another one i think is a recent one for me i'm very interested in using games with with learners and i keep coming back to it it's not something that i'm actually involved in professionally at the moment but I keep coming back to it because I think there's so much potential that hasn't been explored in teaching particularly language teaching and there's this community called language learning sorry ludic language pedagogy that now was on a, a tool called slack which is like a separate chat tool and they've moved to discord and that is like such a a wonderful um place if you have a special interest in games it's not even technology or computer games it's games of all types and they do a wonderful the people who run it do a wonderful job of bringing together teachers researchers from all types of educational backgrounds and sharing things they have a journal they have um very actively they're very actively sharing links and ideas and stuff. I don't go there very often these days, but I keep meaning to play a more active role in that because I think it's wonderful to find that passion. And so if whatever your special interest, I think is definitely a way of um, connecting with people. You just need to look a little bit and, and reach out, don't you? I mean, using Twitter, using Facebook, talk to other teachers and you'll find someone who can point you in the right direction of, of your special interest as a teacher. 
Yeah, that's right. And, and you mentioned actually about uh, reflection. I think some kind of reflective diary is really useful as well. And that can help you to pinpoint the areas that you need to work on, because then you can look through your diary and, OK, what problem areas have been cropping up more, you know, re regularly? And then you think, OK, I need to work more on this area of teaching. So that's very useful if you I mean, this could be just note form the end of your lesson plan, you write a few notes, you could have some kind of very formal diary, you could have something online, offline. It's very, very flexible, but it's just the idea of reflection. But if you can take that reflective part and then you can do an action with that and trying to you know, work on some areas of your teaching, then I think it's much more useful. Yeah, no, I'd forgotten about that. Reflective diaries, I think, or journals are a really, really good idea. If you, I think it's finding something that works for you, isn't it? To try and try a few things out and um, over time and just really see what it is that helps you improve as a teacher. Um, so what you said about reflective journals is really good. And sharing that in the form of a blog is also another way of, uh, of quite quite interestingly um, sharing your sort of thoughts and reflections with other teachers if you're happy to do that as well. So Suzanne, you have extensive experience of working with teachers, both, um, well, in particular online, I think I'm right in saying, and with yeah. technology. Do you have any favorite ways of working with teachers when it comes to online education? that you haven't mentioned so far or any tricks and tips when it comes to using learning technologies? Um, I think working with teachers, I mean, recently in the last year, I've been working more on communities of practice. So that's, you know, and I've been learning as I go along as well, more about that. So basically about um, encouraging teachers to work together to collaborate. I think collaboration is really important. So as we were talking about reflection, even if you do reflection, I think Graham made a really good point there about sharing that reflection, you know, and getting ideas from your colleagues. So, you know, we can learn so much more if we learn together. So, you know, think about, you know, if you need more support, is there some kind of community you can reach out to? Or can you create a community in your area? You know, think about that. That may be rather than being passive, being active and setting something up that's going to support other teachers as well. Uh, definitely. And, and these are things that you can also bring into the classroom as well. Things like reflective journals or diaries work really well for learners. That's true. Yes. And Suzanne, what about the pandemic? Do you think there has been a real shift in the way teachers feel about learning technologies, for example, either for their own learning or when it comes to teaching or teacher training? And if so, do you think it's temporary or is it here to stay? I mean, some things are going to be temporary, but I think generally it's here to stay because I think a lot of teachers learned very quickly about technology because they were forced into it. And for example, I was uh, working on a course on future learn for teachers who just want to learn about, you know, how to use technology with their learners online. And it was a really, um, you know, it was set up very quickly by FutureLearn, but it was just supporting these teachers who weren't used to using technology. And that worked really well, just giving lots of different tips. And I'm sure, you know, those thousands of teachers that did that course probably passed on those tips to colleagues. So I, you know, as usually happens in teaching, people pass on the ideas and, 
it doesn't just affect a few thousand, but you know, it's going to affect a lot more people than that. So I think I think people have had to learn about technology and I think people won't be as scared of using technology. So that's a really good thing. And I think that's going to stay. So that's going to be passed on, you know, from teacher to teacher. Um, and I think there was a renewed interest in flipped classrooms. I don't know if that's going to stay because I think, you know, in a lot of countries, in a lot of contexts, they want to get teachers and students back in the classroom more. So I think, you know, in some ways, that might die off after a while, but I think certainly confidence in technology has improved a lot amongst teachers. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I completely agree with you. Certainly my experience, what I've seen, what I've heard from people, I think there is this element of Zoom fatigue, isn't there, as it's called, with teachers and learners having this idea of, oh, okay, I really want to get back and be in the same physical space as people. But I think once that sort of settles down and people have uh, have returned to classrooms, et cetera, there will be some teachers and students who will be like, well, actually, when I was learning online, there were these advantages, et cetera, and they'll probably end up combining the two, I would think. Yes, I, th I think that makes sense, and it, it could work out better for the schools in, you know, in some ways. So it could be that maybe people will study at home once a week, for example, yeah. and they're giving pro projects, for example, if students had an online project to do once a week, and then that would also free up some time for teacher development as well, you know, so that there could be ways that, that that could work really well in the future. Definitely. And um, one of the things you mentioned were the future learn courses, which I'm a particularly fan. I'm a particular fan of, of future learn. One of the things I love about it is the design of those courses. It's so well put together. And I know that you have an interest and you work in instructional design or learning design, whatever you want to call it. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you see that as being able to help teaching and learning sort of the design of um of materials of courses etc what kind of things do you think are important to take into account when you approach kind of uh, as an instructional designer um this type of thing i i think one of the main things is that you need to set up activities that involve interaction so um, on FutureLearn, what we've done there is uh, that we've got a lot of, we get a lot of discussions going. And I think, you know, that's what we need. We need to get people interacting with, with each other and we need to choose topics that, you know, really get, you know, teachers really involved in the discussions. So, and um, you need to keep monitoring that all the time. And so one thing that we do is we do, every week we do a little review video and we say oh if you didn't see this discussion go and have a look at this discussion so we point out to people who are doing the course which discussions we think are important for them to go and have a look at so um and also we've we took on the idea of a video tutor so you know if you're setting up something online people need to feel some kind of personalization and using a video tutor which would could be yourself recorded you know people are your learners are going to get to know you. One thing is, you know, it can be a little bit difficult to get a little bit longer time if you're online permanently for your learners to get to know you. 
So if you're if they're seeing you a lot more and using video is one way of doing that. So that's another thing to think about. But definitely the interaction is the main thing and making sure that the discussions you set up are things that people are really interested in and they're really going to get involved in. That's really interesting. I'd not really thought about the importance of having, you know, a personalized video tutor, if you like. It's it it makes a lot of sense. I think people probably respond much better to seeing someone's face um on a video rather than a kind of PowerPoint type presentation or faceless sort of video. I think that's that's a really good point. And one of one of the things I really like about the way that the these courses have been set up and that it's really difficult, I imagine, to organize or to arrange is the idea of, as you say, um, the interaction is so important. But what's quite what I've noticed, which is really um, quite interesting for me, is this idea of the interaction comes at the bottom of a page and it's a bottom of generally the bottom of each page or each other every other page so people can choose their kind of if they're particularly interested in a, a subtopic they can choose to write comments under that particular uh, subtopic and then uh, which you know it does if they don't they can just move on to the next uh, subtopic or whatever we want to call them and apart from that this idea of getting a question that is particularly stimulating to the people who are learning is really interesting. But also, I think when you look at that, those pages, the idea of the comments are upvoted by the people who are reading them. So if you with, with this type of massively um, um, multiplayer, what is it called? It, the MOOC is massively on massive online, massive open, open online course which yeah. is a term that seems to be avoided now i think by a lot of uh, organizations uh, but it, it is helpful to know that there are lots and lots of people using um or, or accessing these courses at the same time and one of the things i think as i said was really really interesting works really well is that once you've read the materials watched the video etc if you go down to the comments those comments that are most interesting have been upvoted by the people who have read them and uh, or pinned sometime i think by uh, facilitators which is really helpful yeah yeah that that's true so that that adds another level of collaboration because that because things have been upvoted then it means that you know the people who are taking part in the course they're very actively involved in you know actually recommending what other people look at yeah, I think it's very clever from a point of view of those people who have lots of interesting things to say get rewarded by their comments being at the top. So they're encouraged to actively participate uh, as they go through the course. But also it means that um, people who are studying or who are learning uh, and want to learn from their peers online don't have to wade through all these hello my name is x from this country hi i'm from this country which is quite often you just think oh this is a waste of my time if you have a lot of you know if you have the comments for example from everybody in the order that they were posted or in reverse order then you get a lot of that sort of 
unnecessary noise, if you like, which you don't get in this type of course. Things are really clever design that for some reason, a lot of other online courses don't seem to have adopted it, which is a shame. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that works really well. And I think, you know, also one of the joys of the MOOCs is that, you know, they're available everywhere. So and I think it's great to see some a teacher in Vietnam helping a teacher in Mexico, for example, giving advice. And also that teachers can see the similarities, you know, the of the issues that they have in different countries and also they can say different ways of doing things so for things are done in a certain way in your country you think that's the only way they can be done and then somebody in another country says to you well actually in our country we do it like this you know and then teachers can pick that up and try and you know develop a new way of, of teaching for example yeah definitely and i think the other element that i wanted to say about these type of courses that really works is that they they're content is provided in very bite-sized chunks so people can actually just go along and do a, in their coffee break or whatever you can do a five or ten minute uh, piece of bite-sized learning which i think is really helpful for busy people like teachers isn't it yeah definitely i think that definitely works for teachers the way it's set up there's you know a number of steps and you think okay i'll just do one step that that's 10 minutes you know I'll quickly get that one step out of the way so i think that's really useful so suzanne um talking about ten you know another aspect of technology what what kind of digital skills do you think teachers need these days i put you on the spot so we're talking about skills that are all about digital learning technologies or some kind of you know interaction with technology what kind of skills do you think teachers really need to develop I think the main thing is to get sort of confidence in using technology and in some ways you know it's easy you don't need to know about every piece of software so a lot of teachers think oh I can't use this because I don't know how to use it and I think that's something teachers don't need to worry about because you know when new software is brought out those companies they'll do tutorials and if you go on YouTube for example and you type in the name of the software they will have a lot of different tutorials telling you the basics telling you how to get started so i just have a confidence just to go on and just try something so if you think oh i'd really like to do you know some audio with my learners then you know just do a little search and find out what audio sites they are i mean there's so much information online sometimes it's a bit overwhelming but if you search for audio sites you'll probably somewhere find top 10 audio sites for teachers and then you can choose one then go on youtube is there a video that teaches me how to use this in a very simple way and i've never had a problem with that i've always found a really useful tutorial on there so you know i think the main thing is just have confidence just try things out have a little play around and maybe set yourself some targets so we were talking about you know action research it could be okay you set yourself a target i'm going to try using a new app or a new piece of technology once a month Okay, so set yourself that target and then by the end of the year, you know, you've learned 12 new apps and you've really improved your skills. So just, you know, slowly, surely have confidence, be brave and, you know, go for it because there's so much support out there now. Great advice. That's really useful. I think it just struck me when you were talking about this, this idea of teachers developing a kind of digital literacy, which includes 
the you know knowledge of where to go to help to find help so that you you're never on your own with the internet are you 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 know searching and this idea of of formulating uh phrases so you can actually search exactly for what you need to find and where to search is so important isn't it yeah if you want to know something just write the full question don't think you have to write a couple of words so you can just write in okay which is the best audio recording app for teachers and something will come up yeah that's a really good tip i think um be as precise as you you can be when you're doing that it's also a really good tip for uh, if you were trying to help students help themselves with digital literacy then you know and also especially if the students are non-native speakers of a language and they're learning or learning along uh, learning english for example um then you know getting them to actually formulate correctly grammatic grammatically correct sentences when they look for things is a really good idea and it also helps their english yeah i'm sure that's that will really boost their confidence as well knowing that they've written something and it's been understood definitely so suzanne one thing i noticed when I was preparing for this show was that the link from your Twitter account, which I don't think you use very often these days, um, um, links, there's a link to a blog which you used to practice your Turkish. So I must say I'm very impressed. And I know you worked for a while in Istanbul, Istanbul which I'm also very envious of. I'd love to hear more about that time and, and learning Turkish and if you speak any other languages other than Turkish. Okay, well, I'm, I'm probably a bit of a strange language learner because I always found writing worked better for me than speaking. So I set up blogs in a couple of different languages. So I also had a Spanish blog, but I am very good at, you know, knowing languages really badly. So I speak quite a few languages very badly. I think Spanish is probably my best language, but again, I'm probably better at writing than I am at speaking it. Um, Turkish, I can sort of get by in basic Turkish. I wouldn't say my Turkish was brilliant. I know a little bit of Polish, a little bit of Japanese. Wow. So I, I think that's about it. And the, these have all come from you being in those countries, living and working there is it or or that's right yeah so so picking the language up as well you know and it's something important to think about you know when we're teaching about you know creating a, an environment where our learners are picking up language so if you're an english teacher if you have english posters on the wall if you have english books you know on your bookshelves you know just creating this english environment is going to really help your learners too definitely and I think I think setting up blogs to develop your writing is re really good. I, I remember I I decided um, it was mainly from my my um, idea of of trying to understand what I what I could learn of a of a language from playing a computer game. So I was playing computer games anyway. So I was I set up a blog, and I decided I would go back and try and teach myself through this computer game more French. And every time I played, I would try and understand what I was learning from it and 
collect sort of vocabulary from free screenshots, et cetera, or from some of the dialogues that were being spoken about. I never continued with it, which is a shame. That That's the thing. If I'd continued with it, I think um, I probably would have learned a bit more French than I know at the moment. But, yeah, um, I think we always feel like that about languages, though, don't we? We always feel if I'd only done a little bit more. Yeah. So, and especially, you know, as somebody who's learned quite a few different languages badly, I feel like, you know, I should have continued with this. But, you know, I, I can probably still get by in a few languages so that, you know, yeah. I have learned something. We don't all have to be completely fluent in everything, but, you know. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And the thing about language as well is, is that it's a bit like going to the gym, isn't it? You, you need to keep on doing it and keep on learning and keep on practicing it or, or you kind of lose it. You can't just go to the gym, get fit and then say, right, I've done that. Do something else. Yeah. And also trying different ways of doing it. So if you were going to the gym and just using um, one machine every time you would quickly get bored wouldn't you so you might think okay yeah. I'm going to the gym but this week I'm, next week I'm going to go swimming or I'm going to go for a hike or and that's exactly. what we need to think about with languages okay how can I you know renew my interest in this language you know so yeah doing something different definitely so of the countries that you lived and worked in then Suzanne which of them do you have a particular fondness for um, and why I think I think Turkey. I think um, I lived there the longest. I was there for seven years, so obviously that makes a difference because I got to know the culture really well. And also, that was for me. That was when I moved from teaching to teacher training and teacher development. So you know, obviously that was an important point in my career. So I, I learned a lot there, and I was really um, you know thrown in the deep end because I was working with the Ministry of Education there. And I went from doing some, you know, teacher training with my colleagues, teacher development with my colleagues. And then uh, suddenly I was you know, doing training to 100 teachers in a big auditorium. So, you know, I had to learn very quickly. Yeah, that's um, it's always the best way to learn, isn't it? I think being thrown into the deep end, as long as you actually do learn and don't sort of sink rather than swim. Then uh, that's that's great. You know, one of the things I found about Istanbul, I've only, I've only ever visited it um, for a couple of conferences and as a tourist. But Istanbul was just a fascinating mix of different cultures. Uh, really loved it. So I'm, as I said, I'm envious of you getting to know it so well. Yes, that's true. I mean, I lived there for seven years and I, you could still, I could, you know, I used to like on a Sunday go walk around different areas of the city and you could still find places after all that time that you'd not been, you, you know, you'd not seen a lot of. So it's, you know, it's such a historical city. There's so much there. And as you say, lots of different cultures there. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I feel a little bit like that about Mexico City at the moment. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, We've had sort of two years where we movements were sort of restricted and I stopped sort of exploring the place. But it's nice that it, things are opening up again now and that I can actually go and 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 explore. Well, not only the city, but actually other places in the country as well. That um, There's so much to see here. It's incredible. So, yeah. And then wrapping up. Suzanne, finally, could you speak a little bit about your current projects, what they are, 
and what the future holds for you or what the future of teaching 2.1 holds for you okay so now i'm sort of mainly work on teacher development and on instructional design which is mainly you know putting together online courses so i'm working on an online course at the moment and i'm going to be working more in the future on communities so working with teachers in communities and helping them to put together their own communities so this is something i sort of became very interested in last year and i'm going to be continuing doing that and learning more about it and hopefully uh, becoming more of an expert in that area so just keep pushing myself to learn more about it excellent that sounds great and uh well just thank you very much for joining me today it's been a pleasure talking to you catching up suzanne okay thank you thank you to suzanne for that conversation about teaching 2.1 and all that talk about teaching 2.1 has made me think of web 2.0 or 2.0 which um, some of you i'm sure will know is the term used when the internet started to offer more communicative options for people it's difficult to remember what the web was before that but uh well, now it is, uh, but most people's experience of it was through browsing static websites and Web 2.0 gave people the um, self-publishing platform, platforms such as blogging initially and audio blogging that became known as podcasting. And then, of course, things such as Facebook and Twitter in education. I think this ability to publish online meant that it was very easy for teachers to connect to one another, to share ideas. And definitely in language education, the idea of involving students in publishing their written work was a revolution. When practicing a language, of course, if you can provide learners with a real audience, then it becomes easier to motivate them to, do, to write, for example. And it means also that their written work can reach an audience beyond the teacher and other learners. And it means the students will usually take more care when they're producing work and you can ask them to revise uh, their written work more than they will usually be prepared to do, for example. Then I also remember that being able to call on other teachers from abroad to comment on their blogs was very empowering too. It's quite a sea change. Here's an argument I wrote about blogging back when it first started answering the question why blog and i did this for colleagues both people i work with worked with and those who maybe weren't familiar with blogs um, to explain why i become passionate about the new medium why blog web blogs can be more than just personal journals while we say that web blogs turn people into web pages we do not need to limit web blogs to personal journals that's a blog posting by john lola and keeping a journal or diary has been a staple of learning for hundreds of years and has been long popular in the English language teaching as a way of giving a real world reason for writing and encouraging learner autonomy. But the advent of online journals or web blogs, blogs for short, in particular has increased the variety of learning options that are possible. Now, let's look at some of the blogs and some of the ways that they are being used in 
uh, English language teaching by practitioners. Blogs as old are as old as the web itself, which is a, a strange thing for me to say back then. But um, I think the idea was to emphasize the tradition. Um, certainly is because I don't think, although they existed um, before, what, around 2003, I think now, um, they certainly didn't become popular until that date. They were first conceived as a collection of links with notes arranged in reverse chronological order. Think of the idea of having your favourite bookmarks online so then they're not in a workstation and you'll, you'll understand. Since those days, and especially with the invention of web-based software that makes publishing web blog easy for anyone to do, there's been a blog explosion. And back in 2003 or four, when this was written, there was an estimated 4.12 million web blogs, of which 1.4 million were active. This was quite uh, typical because it was very easy to start a blog. I myself started dozens of blogs with the idea of keeping them for different reasons, but actually um, there were only a few of them that I actually wrote regularly on. Early on, they were used as a pers as personal journals, but apart from this, there are now audio blogs and photo blogs, joint blog pro projects and blog magazines. As blogs have become the most popular type of website, they've started to attract the attention of educational and ELT communities. That's quite an interesting thing now, because I do think that blogs have fallen out of fashion to a large extent. But back then, back in 2003, everybody seemed to be blogging, or uh, everybody wanted a blog. It certainly be, became the uh, the thing until Facebook uh, started appearing. It was the way that people um, used to communicate with with each other, basically, and the conversations that appeared on the on different blog page posts were similar to the sort of conversations you find now on on Facebook posts. ELT blogs. There are now many examples of blogs being used in education, edublogs as they're called, an increasing amount of ESL projects, but there seem to be few examples of EFL teachers using them, which is surprising given the potential they offer. So again, I think English language teachers were sort of late to the party, if you like, whereas a lot of other areas of education teachers um, started using blogs um, a lot more. There are, however, some. Take a look for the, the example of the reflective blog EFL in Japan, um, and I link to a blog there run by one teacher. One thing that does seem to be true is that those teachers who do use blogs and are very active are very active. And Aaron Patrick Campbell is one example. He's defined three basic types of ELT blogs for use with students: the tutor blog, the learner blog, and the class blog. Campbell runs his own tutor blog called The New Tanuki, which he uses to provide information to students about their course. He also links to language learning sites specifically selected for their level and needs, and students can see his observations and comments about his life in Japan, which no doubt can be followed up in class. So I don't know if many of Campbell's students have learner blogs. If they do, then they are private, which of course was probably the case. If you're going to ask students to blog, then keeping the blogs private might be, uh, especially if the students are the young learners, is definitely the, the way to go. And perhaps giving the other students access to them is thing. It is a shame because I think 
when they're truly public, if they are truly public and be, can be read by parents, other students and other people in general, it's, um, it's more empowering. But of course, you do have to think of safeguarding, of course. And um, this type of blog usually has the same function as a traditional learner journal, acting as a basis for more private dialogue between teacher and learner. Of course, that is another way of doing it. It's just um, you don't have to use a blog for that, but it makes it easy. So you open up a a private conversation between a teach, the teacher and the learner about their learning history, if you like, uh, or is open to other students and the general public. This is when blogging takes on learning possibilities, not possible with paper-based journals. The spaces act as showcases for student writing, thoughts, photographs, etc. This type of blog gives students a real reason for writing by providing them with an audience that consists of more than just the teacher. That's important, I think. It's also a great way for them to individualize their learning and the teacher can see what the students write as a basis for follow-up discussions in class. Although it seems that some students don't understand the point of blogs at the beginning, when the idea catches on, it can lead to impressive results. Often learner blogs that are created are connected to a class blog and this is a shared space um, that uh, connects the members of one class but it's also developed uh, into more than this an example is be online which is a was a very important blog for me which was uh, created by a uh, brazilian teacher called barbara and this is an example of what george siemens calls a learning ecology and this offers many opportunities for users to, to dialogue and connect. And it's a flexible learning space that evolves according to learner needs in a consistently involving environment. When to use blogs. Now blogs are good for giving students practice in reading and writing. Instead of writing only for the teacher, the student who writes to a blog knows that their work can be seen by other students and even by total strangers. This usually means that learners take more pride and attention when writing as they are aware of an audience. They can also read their classmates' work and even add comments to it. All this activates student interest and can be an aid to creating a more learner-centered environment. Blogging can also be an aid to learner autonomy. For example, you will have noticed in Be Online, well, you won't, but if, if it still existed, you would have done, that the teacher is rarely present. After initial encouragement to use a blog, the teacher can step back and let the students communicate. This is very important. If you're going to be using blogs, I think um, what you should do is actually encourage students to write comments on what the other students um, produce, and then you get a real community idea um, evolving. Web blogs work when students use them regularly. A teacher or student needn't spend much time writing to them, but the key to a blog's success is frequency. Fortunately, publishing to a blog takes so little time, it can take less time than responding to an email. I have to say, uh, I have to say that I think all of those example blogs that don't exist anymore, um, it's a real shame. Blogging also, as I mentioned before, seems to fall out of fashion. I think. Um, it seems to be more, uh, it, it's, I don't know why really. I think 
you are unlikely to um, attract an audience in the way that you were able to attract audiences to blogs in the past because of things like Facebook that connects everyone together, really. It, it is a shame. I keep telling myself I should start blogging again and maybe inspired by this, I will. So since Web 2, there have also been a number of attempts to define Web 3. And um, I think, what is Web 3 first? Well, I think, confusingly, Web 3 has been applied to all sorts of things in the past. And uh, I remember when Virtual Worlds came along, that was uh, the term Web3 was applied to that. And uh, that fell, out, fell by the website when it didn't really take on. But now I see the term is back in fashion. Confusingly, Web3 seems to be applied to the semantic web, which is the drive to make internet data machine readable, apparently. And it's also applied to a number of other things that involve decentralization centered around blockchain technologies, increased privacy, data security, and cryptocurrency. Whatever else it includes, I'm sure it doesn't seem to offer much to teachers. So that brings us to the end of today's morning break. Many thanks to today's special guest, Suzanne Mordieu. And remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week, and the next show will be Morning Break with Jane Ritter. Join me again at the same time next week. Until then, thank you definitely for being with me today, and especially to all of you who have managed to stick until the end. And see you again next week, hopefully. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.